Welcome to the Westminster Pulpit, an extension of the worship ministry at Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format, and may this sermon nurture your life in a meaningful way as we proclaim our Savior. Brothers and sisters, today we continue on in our study of Proverbs. And this morning, as we dig into this treasure trove of wisdom, which gives us such clear guidance in living wisely, we will focus on the nature of addiction and gain wisdom on a very contemporary issue from God's timeless word. So please turn in your Bibles to Proverbs 23, and we will be reading from verses 29 to 35. Let's hear God's powerful, living, and inerrant word. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who tarry long over wine. Those who go to try mixed wine. Do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart utter perverse things. You will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies on the top of a mast. They struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. Pray with me. O gracious Heavenly Father, how we thank you for your powerful word. And Lord, we ask that you would now meet with us in a special way, that your spirit would fill us. Lord, that we would see the truth of your word, that our that we would hear your word and that our hearts would apply it to our lives in such a way that you would be glorified and honored. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, beloved, the statistics say it all. According to the National Center for Drug Abuse Statistics, half of people 12 and older have used illicit drugs at least once. And since 2000, Drug overdose deaths in the U.S. are nearing one million. And alcohol kills over 95,000 Americans each year. And this week in the recent news, there was a recent news report that San Francisco is facing its deadliest year in the history for drug overdoses during August, all 39 days. San Francisco was hit with an overdose death every nine hours. The 25% increase in overdose deaths are mostly due to synthetic fentanyl. So we know that addictions are so very prevalent and so very pernicious. And these statistics reflect only a few kinds of addictions. There are a host of others. Addictions to food, pornography, gambling, social media, nicotine, and my two favorite substances, coffee and dark chocolate. (laughs) And that's just the short list. 
And in today's passage, we see that there is nothing new under the sun. Our contemporary battle with addictions is a war that is as old as time. And Scripture is so very relevant and instructive in all matters of life, and we see it here in these verses how Proverbs so accurately illuminates the nature of addiction and the consequences of addiction through its depiction of the person hooked on the ancient substance abuse of choice, wine. Now, if we were to only read this passage, you would naturally think that the scriptures take a very negative view of wine, that this passage is a teetotaler's treatise, that no one should ever abide in wine, that is, devil's brew never to be consumed. But that would not be a fair and balanced view. For on the flip side, we also see in Scripture how wine is described as a blessing from the Lord. For example, in Deuteronomy 7.13, out of his love for the Israelites, the Lord promised fruitful fields with an abundance of oil and what? Wine. After they settled in the promised land. And in the New Testament, What was Jesus' first miracle displaying his power as the Son of God, the promised Messiah? In John 2, Jesus changed water into wine to keep the wine flowing and the wedding feast festive. And wine also had a medical benefit, a medicinal benefit, as we see in 1 Timothy 5, where Paul instructs Timothy to take a little wine to aid in his ailments. And Proverbs itself speaks of wine as a blessing. Proverbs 3, 9, and 10 says that if you honor the Lord with your wealth, your vats will be bursting. And yet we see in this passage that wine comes with a warning label. Yes, wine is for our enjoyment. It is not prohibited But this passage highlights for us that getting drunk on it is prohibited. It pictures for us in graphic detail the addictive power of wine and how potentially destructive it can be by its its depiction of the addict. Now let's be clear in our terms. How do we define addiction? Well, Ed Welch, in his excellent book on the subject, Addictions, Banquet in the Grave, offers this helpful definition. Addiction is bondage to the rule of a substance, activity, state, or or state of mind, which then becomes the center of life, defending itself from the truth so that even bad consequences don't bring repentance. And we see how accurate this definition is through the lens of Scripture. Now, Scripture illustrates for us three things regarding addictions. The source of addiction, the steps to addiction, and the solution for addiction. Let's first consider the source of addiction. If you dig down to the root of addiction, what was the seed that got it all started. 
Addiction, addictions start because the substance or activity of choice promises to fulfill a need, a longing, an appetite. That drink may promise relief from anxiety or boost your confidence. That website may offer a fleeting moment of escape from stress or boredom. Addictions start because something becomes a release valve, a support beam, or is used as a reward. Oh, I think I'm going to hit the bottle tonight, or I'm going to hit the internet because I have worked so hard and I deserve this. Well, whatever the case, the substance or activity is simply a means to a greater end, which is my pleasure, my peace, or whatever you fill in the blank. So it attracts us with its promises, and at first, at first, it delivers. But in the end, the thing we thought would serve us ends up enslaving us. And we will see how Scripture gets to the source of addiction as we look at the steps to addiction, because they go hand in hand. And Scripture gives us a very stark picture of the downward spiral of addiction, this progression, this descent into being willfully, voluntarily enslaved. And the first step is that we are ensnared, we are ensnared. Our passage gives us an example, a glimpse of, of this in the warning of verse 31. Do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In other words, be careful. Do not be captivated by wine. Do not let its rich color and taste grab a hold of your heart and your life. Yes, it is delicious. But watch out. Be careful, for you might end up like those in verses 29 and 30 who tarry long over wine, who end up with woe and sorrow and strife, who have wounds without cause. The warning against being enslaved is even made clearer in the previous verses, in the warning of verses 26 through 28, verses 26 through 28, in which a father warns his son about being ensnared by the seductive prostitute or adulteress. Son, don't take the bait and get hooked by the hooker because you can ruin your life. So it's no wonder that these verses about wine follow the warnings of, against the, the enticements of the prostitute and the adulteress. Because both offer pleasure, but both end in destruction. I cannot tell you how many times in counseling men struggling with porn addiction that I have heard the same history. They will say, it all started when I found my dad's hidden stash of magazines. Or they'll say, I was at a friend's house and he showed me some magazines he had. And I looked at them because I was curious, or I looked at them because I wanted to fit in, or feel popular, or cool. And so I looked, and I looked, and I looked, and eventually I got hooked. 
As Ed Welch says, addiction starts as the sin of the naive and develops into the sin of one who is hardened and trapped. The ensnared become the enslaved. And the road to slavery is a downward spiral. For at first, the addictive activity or substance acts like a friend, a companion that helps you. As one high school student commented, the first few times I tried cocaine, I felt like I was much more aware of everything. Trees seemed like a new shade of green. The sun would be more intense. The more intense awareness made me feel indestructible. I felt on top of the world, and nothing had ever made me feel like that before. So for this man, cocaine was his buddy who helped him. And as the addiction progresses, it becomes more than a friend. It becomes a lover, something you give your very heart to. It captivates you. You are enamored of it. Fergie, in speaking about her recovery from drug addiction, highlights this truth when she said, my drug addiction was the hardest boyfriend I ever had to break up with. And we see in verses 26 through 28 that Scripture depicts addiction like an adulteress because an addiction is like having an illicit relationship and that addicts do the same kinds of behaviors as those who are having an affair. In adultery, the offending spouse hides the truth. He lies and he deceives his wife. He leads a double life of deception to cover up his sin. Oh, I'm so sorry, honey, I'm, I'm late, uh, uh, but we were under the gun with this project and we had to get it done, so I had to work late. I'm really sorry it's so late. And in the same way, the addictive person can begin to lie and deceive to cover up for his addiction. Often, too, an adulterous husband will often attack the spouse when she confronts him with her suspicions to blame shift in order to take the spotlight off of himself and put it on his spouse. The same is true for the person enmeshed with their addiction. When confronted, they might say, what is wrong with you? Don't you trust me? How is it that every time I come home, I get the third degree? Do you know how much I can't stand being around you? As if he's the victim. Well, not only does the addicted person deceive others, they deceive themselves. Oh, I can stop at any time. I've caught this. I can handle it. I'm in control. And they become blind to their own behavior and deaf to the pleas to stop from loved ones. And they are dumb. They can't fess up that their actions are headed towards disastrous consequences that stem from their addiction because they are blind. Blind, deaf, and dumb. Now, does that sound familiar to you? It is how Psalm 115 describes an idol that is worshipped. The addictive substance or activity is like an idol. It becomes a false god we worship to get us something that we want. Which brings us to a deeper aspect of addictions. What is the seed of addiction? 
Addictions are at the very heart a worship disorder. We have this hole in our heart and this pleasure our substance offers to fill that hole up. It promises to satisfy some need we have and for a time it does. So we give it our heart's devotion. But the benefits it offers are short-lived and the result is destruction. And Psalm 115 says that when you worship an idol, what happens? You become like an idol. You become what you worship. You become deaf, dumb, and blind, which as we said is what happens to the addict. He becomes deaf, dumb, and blind as his life is transformed by his addiction. Scripture illuminates this aspect of ensnarement to addiction, to an addiction, adultery and idolatry, which ends up in the final stage, slavery. As we said, the thing that we thought would serve us ends up enslaving us, as Peter writes in 2 Peter 2.20, for whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. In descending down to this step, life seems totally out of control as it is dominated by the addiction. Romans 7.19 is the reality for the addict where Paul writes, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. And in serving the addiction, the person acts senselessly and foolishly bringing disaster upon himself. And this is described in today's passage so graphically. The drink the drunkard craves may taste sweet, but watch out. Verse 32, it bites him in the end like a poisonous snake. Notice in the passage how the person no longer seems in control. Other things control him. Verse 33, his heart utters perverse things. It's as if he is a different person under the influence of the substance. He no longer acts in his right mind or according to his usual character. And he is senseless as he endangers himself, which is almost comically depicted in verse 34. I mean, after all, who lies down on a mat, on a mast in the midst of the sea where you could be tossed about or fall to your destruction? So he is senseless and sightless. He harms himself, but he cannot see it. Despite his circumstances, he continues on with wanting more. And he says at the very end, pour me another drink. He is enslaved. Just one more drink, just one more click, just one more hit, just one more post, just one more plate, just one more hour, just one more, just one more, just one more, and one more is never enough. And in the wake of the addiction, the addict leaves a trail of broken relationships and broken promises Oh, I will quit. I promise. It'll never happen again. No, 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 no. How true Proverbs 20, uh, Proverbs 20, verse 1 is 
that says that wine is a mocker and strong drink is a brawler. For heavy drinking loosens inhibitions and loosens tongues and excessive drinking can lead, lead to fists and factions and stinging words. So it's not surprising, as Ed Welch notes, that each heavy drinker leaves a wake of pain for at least 10 people. When we were doling out the topics for our Proverbs series, and I got this one, addictions, I inwardly smiled a wry smile. Ah, addictions. I know about addictions. This topic is very personal to me because I grew up in an alcoholic home, in a home dominated and ruled by alcohol. Our family lived in 3D color, what scripture pictures here. My family went around and around the addictive carousel, wishing that we could get off. Sobriety was followed by binge drinking and all that went with it, finding the hidden bottles, sobering up, cleaning up, followed by hearing the broken promises, I will never do this again, only to be repeated again and again and again. We went round and round and round the circle game. And there was also this sense of living a lie, of keeping up appearances, of not divulging the family secret. It was an unwritten family rule. You must never, don't ever let anyone know what happens in this house. And so with the addiction came the isolation that accompanies the addiction. I could never invite friends home after school because I never knew what to expect when I got home. So my family saw the signs and lived through the steps of addiction, how it enslaves, how it ensnares and enslaves, and the senseless behavior. Why? Why? Why do you do this to yourself? We saw the steps, but we didn't have the solution because my parents weren't Christian at the time. What we needed was the solution Scripture offers to those enslaved to addiction. For as we said, the seed of addiction is the empty hole in our hearts, and that empty hole can only be filled by our Creator who made our hearts. We were made to find our identity and our security in a relationship with our Creator. And yet in our rebellion, we turned away from Him and we sought after other things. Instead of worshiping the giver of life, we sought after other things, which only brings us death. So in a sense, we are all addicts. You may never have struggled with an addiction, but in a sense we see in Scripture that we are all addicts. We're addicted to ourselves. Our life focus isn't on loving the Lord with all of our heart, soul, and mind, which he created us and commanded us to do. But our focus is on pleasing ourselves. It's all about me, 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 me. And such rebellion ends in death. 
For Romans 6.23 makes it very clear that the wages of sin is death and eternal separation from our Creator who is the one who should be first in our lives and not other things. But brothers and sisters, who does that? So our holy God, our holy just God is completely just in judging us for our rebellion against him in which we willfully separate ourselves from him. And we would be completely lost, ensnared, and enslaved living foolishly but for this beautiful truth that the Lord is not only just, he is merciful and loving and out of his love, he who is timeless and transcendent took on upon himself our finiteness and entered into space and time. And as the Son of God, he lived a life of perfect obedience, loving his heavenly Father with all his heart and soul and mind. There was no idol worship for Jesus. No, not at all. And though he was tempted in every way as we are, he said no to temptation out of perfect love for his heavenly Father. And Jesus went willingly to the cross following his Father's will where he took upon himself his own just judgment as the Son of God for all of our adultery in worshiping other gods and all of our idolatry in worshiping ourselves. And we celebrate this beautiful reality at Christmas that the eternal Lord who took on mortal flesh miraculously inhabiting a virgin's womb, he has taken our rebellious hearts, our rebellious dead hearts, and he made them come alive with new life by his grace alone. And if you are trusting in Christ alone for your salvation, then Ephesians 2, which we read earlier, is your reality. This is your experience. Once you were enslaved to the prince of darkness of this world and you were dead in your self-worship, but the Lord took your dead heart and he made you alive to his word and truth so that you now have a relationship with the living God. He filled that hole in your heart which you try to fill with things that are fleeting and enslaving. Beloved, has this been your experience? Have you been set free by Christ who has redeemed you by his death on the cross, trusting in him alone for your salvation? Well, you may be coming here today and thinking, yes, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. But I'm like Paul in Romans 7. I do the very thing I don't want to do, and I'm, and I'm living a double life. I'm struggling with addiction, and it wouldn't be surprising at all. For example, according to a recent survey, 39% of Christian men regularly view porn. So you may be thinking... I'm living a lie, and I need help. Well, let me encourage you to seek help. After all, the beauty of the gospel is that there is no shame 
in saying, I am the sinner. For it was sinners that Jesus came to save and restore. The gospel levels the playing field, for we are all sinners saved only by his grace. So there's no shame in saying, I need help and getting it. No. What would be the shame? It would be a shame if you didn't get help and you lived as if you were still enslaved and not set free by Christ. But beloved, you have been set free by Christ. So why live in slavery? I heard a good quote once recently. If you want to stay in an addiction, confess it only to God. If you want to battle it, confess it to God and someone else. Why? Addictions stay strong in isolation and they grow deeper in the dark. They can only begin to die in the light. So you need to bring it to the light. You need the support of a trusted fellow brother or sister in Christ who can walk alongside of you for accountability and for encouragement to live the life that the Lord intended for you by dying on the cross for you. And as a way of encouragement, if you are a Christian struggling with addiction, beloved, you are not stuck in it. I have seen brothers in Christ successfully battle their addiction, and you can win it as well. After all, what does Scripture say? 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old person has passed away. The new has come. Your identity is no longer in your addiction. Your real self is the new person in Christ. Yes, we still battle with the old nature, but through the power of the Holy Spirit and growing in the Word and with the support of other believers, we put to death the old man to become more and more like the new man, Jesus, our beloved Savior. And we are then able to live a wise life of self-control. So what is the solution to the enslaving power of addiction? The gospel is the answer. One recovering addict hit on a biblical truth when she said, nobody stays recovered from addiction unless the life that they have created is more rewarding and satisfying than the one they left behind. And beloved, what could be more satisfying and rewarding than to know Jesus as your Savior? And to re- as your Savior, as your Creator, your Redeemer and friend, who has freed us from the slavery of sin and given us not only eternal life, but the new life lived wisely and fully through His Word and by the power and strength of His Spirit. Pray together. Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word and how it brings us new life. And Father, we pray that you would help us to apply it to our hearts and to our lives, that we would be faithful to you. Lord, we thank you and praise you and give you all 
praise and honor for the joy that you've given to us. In Jesus' name, amen. The Westminster Pulpit is courtesy of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. You are welcome to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 8 or 11 a.m. To learn more or have questions about the gift of salvation through Christ Jesus our Savior, contact us at westpca.com. Thank you, and may Christ be glorified through this ministry, the Westminster Pulpit.